this is exciting. I'm, I'm, um, a distillery I've not been to is, is Glen Wivis, and, and I'm super, super excited to be joined by Matthew Farmer, distillery manager. Matthew, is that right? Yes. Although we only yes. have five employees, so it always sounds a bit grander than it is. Oh, I think you're doing yourself a disservice <laughs> there. There's a lot of responsibility on those shoulders, sir. <laughs> where were you? Uh, where were you before? Uh, so I actually I've been all over the place. I, I have uh, about 20 years worth of uh, America in me, uh, which is why right. the, the accent is increasingly indecipherable the longer I go. Um, I was born in Scotland. I went to America and actually uh, that's where I got into distilling. Um, so I've been making bourbon and rye for about 10 years. And then nice. it was actually Glenn Wivis and the lure of the Scottish Highlands that eventually eventually brought me back home. Nice. How How is that then? I mean... I don't, there can't be many that have worked in both industries, right? I mean, as I know there's one of the guys who's gone over to Tam the Villain was working over in America. Um, I think he was actually at one of the Canadian distilleries. Um, there hasn't been many, I don't think, that have done the switch, right? There's not a huge amount. I do know there are some people, like back when United Distillers and stuff was a thing, like the green distilleries had a lot in common with the big bourbon plants. So you'd have mm -hmm. people jumping back and forth. But as far as like single malt scotch and small batch distillation, um, yeah, there's not a huge amount of cross pollination there. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I I find, especially having been over to the states, I love bourbon. Actually, I came in to whiskey through cocktails, so bourbon was actually my first love, uh, and and I, and it was at, in a time many years ago when Blantons and Pappy Van Winkles and Eagle Rares and Cheat George T. Stags were were products that people were not that interested in to be honest and I was I was whizzing them up in posh Manhattans and old fashions and just sipping away after work because no one would drink them it, it feels like things have changed a little bit and, and you've probably seen that working in the states the rise of bourbon yeah I the days you can find the Pappy Van Winkle in a state liquor store for retail yeah. price <laughs> uh, yeah yeah because the 10 year old was sensational <laughs> and it wasn't expensive it was it was good no yeah. I was very much the same way actually it was it was rye Sazeracs and stuff it was the yeah the rye whiskey that really got me sort of like hooked and clicked into it um and it all spiraled out of control from there yeah the rye that got me into rye was Rittenhouse rye from yeah. I think it's Heaven Hill and and they Oh man, we had it in the rail in the bar, and I, I think we were getting it for about fifteen quid a bottle at the time, and it was just good booze. You know, I mean, it worked in everything. You couldn't break it. Good on its own as well. Tasty stuff. Hi, it was a steal. Have you tried the Pikesville? That's kind of like uh, its bigger brother. Is it? No, I haven't. No, do you recommend it. It's really yeah, it's one hundred and ten proof in a bottle, so it's, right. uh, yeah, I have to be a little bit careful with it, but uh, it's a, it's basically the same. As far as I know, it's the same mash bill, same distillery, but it's six years old minimum. Right, it just okay. Has a little bit more. Yeah, really good. Brilliant. I should, oh, sorry, great. I should oh. be talking about Glenn Wivis here. I'm just sorry. I know. I know. I'm talking about Wivis. Like, <laughs> so when did you when did you start at Glenn Wivis then? Like what what? How did you end up there? What's what's happening? Uh, so I've been here. I just hit the two years here. Um, yeah. So really, it was. Uh, it started off here. The the, the previous distillery manager, Duncan, he was a, a old school Diageo. Um, he'd had thirty years of experience in the single malt distillery. So I owe a lot to him. He sort of like came in, set everything up, got our spirit cut points, our mashing, all that kind of stuff. So it, Glenn Wivis really is imprinted by him first. Um, and then he sort of left to do his own thing, and I had invested in the distillery back in the day as a crowdfunded project i don't know that's, yeah, yeah. that's a whole other story to talk about yeah 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 um 
but my mum was from Tain, and so this was kind of like a local story. Um, she bought me shares in the distillery as sort of like a birthday present. Um, and I got my little certificate. I got my T-shirt. I own the Scotch whiskey distillery. I was one of those people in America. And then, um, yeah, I was getting the newsletters, and they said that previous distillery manager was leaving, and they were looking for a replacement. Uh, I had distilling experience, and my wife and I just had our first kid, and it was COVID mm -hmm. lockdown. And I think we're probably not alone in it, but I think during lockdown and COVID, it just sort of made you think about what was important and where yeah. home was and made you pri what was really the priority here. Um, yeah. And within a couple of months, we were on a plane in the middle of a lockdown, uh, trying to get that. our PCR tests and everything. And yeah, I started two years ago. Well, that's right. I mean, when you have children, um... What you need to do is is move house and get a new job because because life's not complicated enough with one child you know is that... <laughs> yes immediately it is. It is, we were the same and and you know it's funny because i think when we look back in 10 years time you know with uh with hindsight and go how, how did covid impact you so many people i know i'm included in this um made massive life-changing decisions uh, during that two-year period and i think a lot of it was born of that kind of reflection like where do i want to be what do i want to do how do i want to live you know all, the, all those big massive questions that sometimes you know what it's like when you're working you're just too busy to even sit down and actually consider any of those kind of options right um you're just doing day to day yeah. and just getting by yeah it just like doesn't even seem possible with what you're doing mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you're presented with like just a month of forced inner reflection i guess <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally so rather rather than going out running 20 miles a day um i, I sat and considered my life option <laughs> that's, that's, that's spent four hours doing that instead so you, you ended up kind of near back home then almost i suppose yeah i actually i grew up mostly on the west coast um but i still have family up here so it was interesting mm. coming back and getting the connections and inverness was always sort of like the big city that we would come to so yeah, yeah. now we're right in the middle of it and it's been it's been interesting coming back because I was 14 when I left so coming back mm -hmm. as an adult um with all the responsibilities and stuff that that entails um but we ended up the hilarious thing is we ended up moving like relatively far away because we couldn't find a place during lockdown particularly easily yeah and so it's I've got like a 40 minute commute I live in I live in Drodnodrocket um but all right everybody over here is like a 40 minute commute that's crazy what are you doing how do you survive like I'm coming from America where it's like an hour and a half in rush hour on a freeway. I'd much yeah. rather spend 40 minutes on a Scottish country road than an hour and a half with my air conditioning on. Yeah, so it's so true, isn't it? Because people do, they, they commute so much more over in the States and Canada. And, and for us, everything needs to be a bit more convenient. Everything's kind of a bit closer by and stuff. A big commute's um, definitely something people want to avoid. 40 minutes feels very reasonable. I'm sure you've got a lot of very good whiskey podcasts to listen to on your way over. <laughs> <laughs> They're right around the 40 minute mark as well. Yeah, 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 just, yeah exactly. It's, it's very handy that. It's funny. Uh, and, and look, that's a, that's a great part of the world. Um, we've talked about it, Mitch and I have talked about it a lot. The Northeast Highlands, if you like, a, a, almost a sub region within the Highlands now where you've got so many, I mean, proper, brilliant distilleries make great whiskey, whiskeys that people around the world recognize as really high quality. And, and there's a few in there as well that they've yet to discover. You know, I talk about Balblair's not that well known, but great whiskey. You know, mm. um, your your Wolfburn's right up there as well. And, and then, you know, Glenn Wivis. I mean, I, we were just chatting just before we started recording and 
it was actually Julie Hamilton I saw writing a really nice post about Glenwivis recently, just about you know how she found it. She loved the, the soft malt notes, a little bit tropical fruit possibly coming through as well. I, I just remember from reading her kind of tasting notes and she was kind of raving about it. And it's another distillery in this area that um, poof, is bashing out some really good whiskey. Yeah, we are definitely in good company up here. Mm. And with the added pressure, I think, on top of that as well, because you've yeah. got so much to pull from. And you also know that these distilleries, they're they're getting the barley from the same place. They're getting the water sources yep. from the same place. Like the, the thing that makes them special is the skill and tradition that's gone into it. And mm. so suddenly you, you, you can't just say like, oh, yeah, our water is really good. So that's what makes our whiskey special. It's like everybody's water up here is amazing. So you've got to really... Yeah. Yeah, the the bar is set so high already. Um, I'm sure, yeah. like if you're in Germany making beer, you probably say feel the same way. Like it's just well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're making pills now, and and your water's got to be a certain quality. Then you're all saying kind of a similar thing in some ways. But in that part of the Highlands, I mean, there's so many more things going on, isn't there? There's really unusual distillery setups. Talk about flat top wash stills and weird and wonderful yeah. things we covered off recently at Dalmore. But you go up to Glenmorangie, where you've got the big giraffe neck stills. What what then? When you arrived at Glenwivis, like what, what kind of caught you? I guess and, and made you realise that Glenwivis doing something quite, quite different, quite unique. So there are a few areas that in production that are that are quite special to what you guys are doing. Yeah, I think one of the big things that really struck me, and one of the reasons that actually sort of like brought me over to Glenwivis in particular, um, is because the the distillery I used to work at was getting a little bit bigger, a little bit more corporate, a little bit bigger, and. and as a distiller, as an operator first, um, the idea of being able to touch every single part of the process was really important to me. Um, and at Glen Withis, it is set up perfectly for that. Um, we really only have one full-time operator and he mashes, he distills, he does the quality check of the final spirit. Um, you're able to follow it all the way through. So you're not um, if something goes weird on one end or something isn't quite right, like you just have this holistic approach to making that final spirit. And all of that spirit is going into a cask for a single malt whiskey that is going to come out with your name on it. It's not yeah. like this much is going for a blend so we can run it yeah. a little bit hotter, a little bit faster. I think Got it's it. sort of just that the scale and the size is a is a type of distillery that you're starting to see now, but really has not existed because the... I think the 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 cost benefit ratio of having something this size hasn't really paid off in the past. Got it. Um, and it's like really special. Like we have a half ton mash ton. Um, if you ever see it, it looks like a tiny. It looks like a toy mash ton. I was going to say, is it is it as small as that? I knew it was small. I didn't realize it was only half a ton. That, half ton. Yeah. yeah. It's like I think it was the smallest of four sizes that they made when they made is it. it. Um, just be. I mean, just be like a wee ball pit. It? It, would be... <laughs> it is, yeah. It's like you can't even. There's no closed. There's no closed space stuff because you can't even get inside it if you wanted to. It's incredible. It's yeah. uh, so, but it's it's because of that. Um, everything else has been kind of scaled down in proportion. So we've got a 2400 liter wash still. We've got a 1700 liter spirit still, yeah. which I think would even come under. I don't think that comes under a different. We wouldn't even be allowed to that size of still before the regulations changed back in the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Too so small, actually, almost a smuggler is a smuggler still. The, yeah, uh, I forget of, what the yeah. actual number was. It was like 1,800 hectoliters, yeah. 18 hectoliters, I think. But yeah, anyway, it's a, it's a, it is a craft distillery first and foremost, but it's set mm -hmm. up in the same tradition as a, a much larger distillery as well. 
Um, yeah. And we do some weird things with that. Like we do very long fermentations. It's very cold up here, um, especially during the winter. So uh, yeah. the water coming up from the underground, like we, we set our ferments very, very cold as well. So when you say um, a long fermentation, standard usually is 55, 60. Most distilleries would sort of say that. What's a long fermentation for you guys? Is it 100 uh, hours? 144. That's it. It's really long then, yeah. 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 So six days. So we do four four long of 144, and then mm. our one short fermentation is still 96 hours. Okay, um, right, brilliant. So yeah, sh short is relative for us as well. Because that is that. There's a fruity. There's definitely a fruitiness um, in the batch too that I have in front of me, and a lot of that fruitiness would you say would come from the kind of early stages? Then is that where a lot of that's being created? Uh, if you ever get a chance to come up here and stick your head in a fermenter, like it will hit you full on. Like it's unmistakable. Right. It's that it's that red apple kind of pear drop, yeah. just like esteriness. Um, and so the goal is like you know, or to take that flavor and somehow make it survive through the distillation, through the yeah. maturation, through the cask, and sort of shine at the end of it. Um, yeah, it's a young whiskey, so it's really shining through right now. But my real hope mm. is that even by the time we get to eight or ten years, that is still sort of a character that we can point to and be like, right, that's what Glenmorris tastes like. Like you're not going to confuse that with anything else. Yeah, so there is a so there's a clear view, clear point of view on like the style, the house style of Glenmorris. You guys have got that, like you know what you're trying to create. It's funny because I think a lot of new distilleries, a lot of smaller distilleries. Um, I'm I'm in Edinburgh right now and. Hollywood just brings to mind it's just across the way I don't think they would be able to articulate to me you know a house style because they're making five six seven different spirit styles um you know some are peated some are not some are mm. long fermentation some are short you know making lots of different things which is cool and that's as a new distillery that's exciting there's loads going on you can create lots of different sort of ideas and new tunes I suppose but that's not what you guys are looking to do here at Glen Wivis. you guys are looking to create a like a, 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 a Glen Wivis identity flavor wise I definitely. So, I yeah. mean, the vast majority of our time is spent, the new make coming out of us um, is pretty much always consistent. Um, we do do one peated uh, run um, every year, just to sort of like for a few weeks as an experiment. Mm -hmm. um, but the difference is sort of like try and make this one spirit that shines with this character. And then, yes, we are putting into a lot of different casks and wood types to see how yeah. that flavor goes in different directions. Mm -hmm. But I think even with this first batch that we released, um, we made a decision to put just a little bit of refill hogshead in there. And it's yeah. a three-year-old whiskey. Like putting a refill barrel in a three-year-old whiskey is not necessarily yeah. your first your first choice. Um, but we found that just sort of like get, getting that character to come through, and then that gives us maybe a path forward where every release that we do now. Yes, we'll have different cast makeups and different types, but if we just add a little bit of that refill, if we add a little bit of that character in, we'll be able to create yeah. that kind of backbone. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I, I, when I read it, I, I saw because it's on the label. You've been very clear about you know how you've made this whiskey. It's got sixty percent bourbon, twenty five percent Oloroso, and fifteen percent refill, um, and it's a lovely mix, and it works very, very well. And 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 you said this earlier. It's, it's about this. Um, just balance isn't it really about giving that spirit the opportunity to really really come through and it's quite clear how that does come through delicious um and this is batch two i've got batch one what was the difference between batch one and batch two um uh batch one was pretty much we had a very very limited re retail release but it was really for our shareholders um the people who had invested back in the day were promised a bottle of three-year-old whiskey when it was ready 
Um, yeah. One of the big differences is that we had uh, two Moscatel casks um, that right. were sort of a little bit of an experiment. Didn't really have enough to be a bigger batch. And uh, I think what we decided to do was sort of like build the blend around them and make it a little bit yeah, more yeah. unique and special so that people who got that first bottle have something that will never be repeated. So it was Brilliant. still... It was still probably, I think it was 80% bourbon first fills for that, um, yeah. 15% Moscatel, and then 5% refill Hogshead. And that yeah. sort of informed what we were going to do with batch two, which was a much bigger, wider release. Still 8,000 bottles. Again, big is relative when you're talking about us. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and see, see when then a distillery comes of age and you've got whiskey for the first time, was the person who's looking after that, that must have felt pretty good. Yeah, it was also quite stressful, I will say, because suddenly you've got like, it was the one thing that bourbon and rye never really included was this marriage of different casts because it has to be in a first fill barrel every single time. Go so ahead. there was the, the Excel spreadsheet for putting together your bourbon batches was actually pretty straightforward. It was like, okay, what's the age and put them together. And then over here, it's like suddenly you've got all these different cast types, like yeah. to the extent that is almost overwhelming. Um, mm. And you've got to find some way of shortening it down. And I remember like the, the first time sitting down, it's like, what do we even, like, how do you even start? Like, there's not even a recipe. There's no, there's never been a Glenwithers whiskey before. So mm. what are you even working it from? Like, you're literally just sort of like going through the barrels and trying to it's, it's the Dr. Frankenstein lab, right? You're like pouring it all together and trying to work out where to even begin. And then you have to start making it better from there. Yeah, yeah, that that is the tricky thing, isn't it? And it's the, when you go into some of the old distillers in Scotland and there's loose recipes, I think there's, there's products that have always gone into certain things and there's, you know, general styles and some of it's written down and some of it's not, depends who you speak to and things. But you're right, there's, there's kind of something to go by coming in especially from a different industry and going, right, okay, there's so many possibilities, isn't there, with refill, first fill, uh, sherry, first fill and refill. Yeah. Uh, well, European oak, a lot of people think sherry casks are all European oak. It's quite the opposite. Very few are European oak. Most of them are American oak. So then you've got that. Uh, you split those apart. You've got first fill American oak sherries and refill American oak sherries. Yes. <laughs> and then the same again on the European oak. And then people are like, all right, yeah, the sherry casks are all the same size. It's like, well, actually, no, they're not. You've got sherry butts and you've got sherry hoggies. So there's another variable um, within that. So you've got the wood types, uh, the sherry types, the cask size. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like, boom, 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 boom. The multipliers are quite ridiculous. And uh, I'm sure a spreadsheet with all that on it might might burst your brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, of course, I came in with like uh, maybe just enough bourbon knowledge to be dangerous. So like I'm looking at the first fill bourbon barrels and I'm like, oh, okay, that's a wild turkey one. And okay, that's a 12-year-old Elijah Craig right there. Yeah, and so I start yeah. adding like extra columns to the spreadsheet that weren't there <laughs> yeah. before. And yeah. at, at some point I had to be like, okay, I have to stop. It's like, but I love to... that. No, honestly, <laughs> uh, it's so interesting. That's why we're chatting about bourbon, obviously. At the start is, I absolutely love that because where, where I've worked in the past, the uh, last 10 years has been with White and Mackay in Edrington. And, and both businesses, although they do it differently, both are massive into sherry casks um, in slightly different ways. Um, mm. And Richard, Richard and Greg over at White and Mackay, big on wine the quality of the sherry, the quality of the port that was in there. Uh, and they're quite happy if that sat in a Solera system for 30 or 40 years, uh, so long as the cask is, you know, bringing something to the table. Brilliant. And there's so many different variations within that that are available to them. Now at Edrington, it was all about oak um, and actually sherry season casks. So sherry would go in for a couple of years. 
the you know take away a lot of the tannins from the oak and, and then we would get the sherry casks over at the distillery and so I think like the we we would we would spend a lot of time talking about sherry casks and almost no time talking about the origin of bourbon casks and the condition of those bourbon casks and how they were treated when they were in America. Mm. Even things like charring levels and stuff like that was kind of skimmed over a lot of the time, um, just to, from my own sort of experience. Uh, so it was so nice to hear that. And actually just hearing you chat there more about, you know, Elijah Craig 12, oh, brilliant, I know what I can do with that. It's going to give me this, this, and this. It's like, I don't think there's that many people in the industry who have spent enough time on that, possibly. Um, or Or... And I guess maybe it's because of volume, right? It's going to be pretty difficult to do that at scale. But the operation that you guys are running, very possible to to be really selective on what bourbon cash you work with, which is quite cool. Yeah, we can like look at each one individually. Um, mm. And you're, I think you're starting to see it. Um, I, I know, like, I, I feel like it used to be like bourbon and rye cast were just sort of lumped into like is a first fill American yeah. oak barrel, and now people yeah. are starting to pay attention to okay, starting to split the bourbon them and rye are separated. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then the difference between a bourbon cast for Jack Daniels has been used for four years versus, yeah, like a 12-year-old Elijah Craig. Like, yes, they're both first fill bourbons, but there is an eight-year difference between what has been taken mm -hmm. out of that wood. Um, mm -hmm. And that is not that is not nothing. No, no, totally, totally. And it doesn't mean one's better than the other. It's just about what you use them no, for, isn't yeah. it? It's how you use them. It's, that's the game. Um, so what's what's next then for you guys at, at Glenwivis? So batch two is out. Are you going to continue to release uh, batches? Uh, what's the kind of frequency moving forward for that? Aye, so what we're trying to do is vintage style releases, um, right. at least until we hit our say, like eight to 10 year anniversary and can start mm -hmm. thinking about maybe like a flagship repeated product. But up until then, looking at the warehouse, like we can't really repeat a product too much. Um, and also we kind of don't want to because what makes us special is that we can take that time. We can treat every single cask individually so next year's release um will also be a three-year-old 2019 vintage and then we'll probably have a 2020 vintage but then we'll be able mm. to rotate back around to 2019 and start bringing out a five-year-old do a few years of that we could rotate back start bringing in an eight-year-old and then mm -hmm. by the time we've rotated back and we've got a 10-year-old we can hopefully start thinking about a, a recipe but it's sort yeah. of giving people a, a little snippet into our progress as we go um and no single batch will be exactly the same as the other one um cool. looking towards next year i've already like feel like i should have done more work on it already the time is flying by i don't know how it's yeah. november already um but looking at the cast makeup like we don't I, we literally don't have enough all the rosso sherry hogsheads to repeat this exact recipe um, but <laughs> what we do have is a lot of like muscat red wine casks mm. um and that'll be really interesting to look at and see how we can tweak the recipe, sort of like make make those integrate into the blend and do something special with them. I've actually got one, one question I'd love to ask you is, hmm. uh, hearing a little bit more now about the distillery and, and, and the scale, I didn't realize quite how small production uh, you guys are running. Brilliant, I love that. And you talked about it as being a, more of a farm distillery. Um, I guess your peers, are you... Are you kind of looking to kind of Daft Mill, Lock Lee? Are, are you guys in the same sort of kind of, I guess, with the same philosophy, a similar philosophy as one another? Uh, do you kind of see it like that? Or, or or do you see yourselves as just doing your own thing and not really kind of watching what other people are doing? I think I think the big difference is that we don't grow the barley here ourselves. Um, Got it, right. So it's a it's a cattle farm. They, they eat the draft, um, yeah. but it's not a, it's not a 
a grain a grain farm. I, but I think the the philosophy is probably kind of the same, where it's a bit more of a an all encompassing kind of like holistic approach. Like we have a biomass yeah. boiler, we have renewable energy on site, draft yeah. goes out to the cows. Uh, sort of things feed into each other, um, and it's more about it does kind of harken back to like how distilleries used to be on farms and it was sort mm -hmm. of like fed all the cool products, all the byproducts had a use um, versus everything being sort of like outsourced third party. Um, you still end up using a lot of like out contractors and stuff for repairs yeah. and maintenance. Like we're not in there doing our own boiler maintenance or anything, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. everyone's, everyone's got their nine trades. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Who's the who's the who's the coppersmith? Oh, that that'll be me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you were the yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were the cattle farmer. Okay, yeah, he does everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's sort of um. I think we I think we all share kind of similar philosophies where because when you're such a small scale, like you can just be a little bit more um integrated. Like everything just sort of feeds into each other. If that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Maybe waxing no, a bit it. philosophical there, but. No, 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 no. But it's, I think you need to have that. And, and actually, I think sustainability, um, like in terms of longevity, in terms of being there in 100 years time, um, and it's how you set yourself up to do that. And, and what I love, I've been chatting to quite a few new distilleries recently, is there's not this like burning ambition to be the number one malt whiskey brand in the world or anything like that. In fact, quite the opposite. It's, no, we, we want to do it because we love it. We want to do it to a scale so that it provides jobs um, at, that are that are sustainable, that that will last a long time, and we want to do it to make great whiskey. And it, it's brilliant because it's it, there's not this like kind of corporate push and 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 I'm sure the shareholders in these businesses that would like some return at some point, um, but that doesn't seem to be driving everyone, which is really really good. And and hopefully that remains the case. And I think that's coming through, obviously, from what you guys are doing and the distilleries I've already mentioned with Lock Lee and uh, Daft Mill and. I was on the on a call actually, uh, uh, recording with um, the guys at Port Leith Distillery as well, who are mm. you know who are a wee bit further behind you guys. They're not producing quite yet, but they're not far away from it now. And and it's so exciting just listening to them and their limitations. Interesting, similar to yours, you've got your uh, your mash tun is, is the bottleneck. It, it will be at most distilleries. It usually mm -hmm. is, um, and, and theirs will be quite similar. The problem they've got is is that they're confined by the tower because they, they could only get a certain amount of space so they're building everything above one another so they can't oh they can't wow they can't just put in another mash tun or another set of stills i mean they're going to be restricted massively just by the building that they're in but they're cool with that you know it's, it all sounds like everyone's sort of thinking about that not worried about expanding and, and like i say becoming the number one whiskey in the world just as i'm mm. tasting this um it's got a lovely creamy texture oh thank it? you yeah, yeah. yeah. The... I'm a big one for texture. We don't talk enough about it in whiskey, but a whiskey that's at three years old has this lovely kind of coating. Almost, I was eating a yogurt-covered raisins yesterday, and it's got that lovely little sort of coating, which is really, really pleasant, delicious. Yeah, we're able to do it at at forty six percent, actually forty six point five, which was mm -hmm. a, a nod to the bourbon because it's ninety three proof, which was some yeah. of my favorite bourbons. But um, do it without chill filtration and everything, sort of like you, you know, check check all the boxes, um, and just sort of leaves. Yeah, it's it's it has a character to it. Um, it doesn't taste particularly youthful. It's not that sort of like chemical kind of dissolving kind of. No. Astringency. Um, I was pretty surprised by it actually. Because um, the maltiness comes through very well. 
yeah, you can really taste the the grain. I mean, I think people are getting more used to younger whiskies. Um, I think three years is still something that, you know, it's maybe a little more of a curiosity sometimes for people. But yeah. then when they yeah. taste it, they're like, oh, you know what? I could actually, I could sit down and this could be an evening drinker for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Brilliant. No, it's a great effort. It's so interesting to hear more about uh, Glenn Wivis. And I was laughing to myself earlier because <laughs> I always think of Ben Wivis. Uh, you know, yes, uh, you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Does that happen a lot? I, I wanted to ask you that because that the distillery it disappeared in 1977 or something, didn't it? 78, 77. Um, a long time gone now, but you know, it was once upon a time a set of stills that ran. Was it inside Invergordon, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, so it was It was in Dingwall until 1928, uh, I want to say. Mm -hmm. um, and then it went to, it was basically a brand off Invergordon bottled under the Ben Wivis name until they finally yeah. stopped producing it. Um, yeah. So the name Glenn Wivis uh, was a combination of Ben Wivis and then also another distillery that also closed in 1928 up in Edmonton um, called Glen Skiff. So take Glenn and Wivis and sort of like mash them together into yeah. a copyrightable name that doesn't infringe on anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not upset any lawyers in the process yes. here. That, 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 yeah, yeah. So I had to realize, okay, so it's a combination of the two distilleries in the area that are no longer there um, and obviously reference to the big hill that sits behind you all. Yes, yeah. Ben Wivis is actually, <laughs> yeah. it is very, it is one of the, the least um, easy to silhouette mountains. Like I think when we were first doing our bottle, we were like, wouldn't it be really cool to have like a big silhouette of Ben Wivis on the bottle or something? And then actually the, <laughs> It's a nice mountain, but it's a bit it is a bit of a shapeless kind of like lump. It's very Yeah, obvious, it's not it's not the it's... most dramatic. It's not the most dramatic. I know it's not like if it was Mount Fuji, right? Which every everything yeah. that is around Mount Fuji has Mount Fuji on it because it's so distinctive. I know what you mean. Ben Wivis is not like we've we've tried to take pictures of it many times with distilleries behind it. We used to go out in the water and into the property and try and get a good picture of it and stuff. And actually it's just like, nah, you're gonna have to draw it and post-production or something yeah i uh, we ended up doing it was the uh the con we took the contours off the mountain instead and sort of like yeah. stamped them onto the the label um to get that <laughs> little bit of heritage in there um, yeah. i love that brilliant all right mate well look really nice to catch up with you and um it's a really interesting story you've got brilliant uh, coming over from america and uh, obviously over the last couple of years taking control of Glen Wivis and running the distillery there and uh, really interesting to just get a bit more insight into into what's happening and, and the whiskey is absolutely delicious so we'll keep following the journey um, when, when will the next release be out then from you guys? Uh, should hopefully be aiming for May or June next year um, yeah. a bit dependent on supply chains right now but we've got pretty much everything in line for it hopefully Fingers nice. I shouldn't have said that out loud but yeah, yeah, totally. But people can, people can keep in touch on social media, right? So at Glenn Wivis uh, on on Instagram, mm -hmm. um, and I take it it's www.glenwivis.com on just the website. People can yep. sort of find out what's happening there, buy bottles and stuff, probably as well, which is great. Um, yeah, brilliant, mate. Thank you so much for your time. Great, no problem. It's been a pleasure being on here. Uh, that that went very fast, actually. Bye. <laughs>